we're going through um, all the letters of Paul. And so when I set out on this little journey uh, about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, um, I made a goal for Crossway Fellowship to go through seven books, uh, seven letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. Seven is obviously not all the letters that he wrote, but these are seven big boys. Philippians is actually, we're probably like, I think we're second to last or third to last book uh, before we hit Romans. Uh, I don't think I'm going to do Romans because then we'd be on that for five years. So, uh, unless we want to. Uh, and so we're, we got to the book for Philippians and Philippians is, well, the city of Philippi, the church of Philippi, holds a pretty significant and special place in Paul's heart because it is the first church that he planted or that he founded in Europe. So on his missionary journeys, uh, the story of him going into the region of the Macedonian region, going into Philippi, um, it's an actually a very extraordinary story that you can find in Acts somewhere. Um, and you might be familiar with the story. Uh, the first person that actually converts or actually joins this church that Paul founds is a woman named Lydia. So that's where we get the name Lydia. Lydia was a seller of purple things. I don't know why they mentioned that, but that's what she does. She sells purple things. But as Paul and his partner Silas is preaching in that area, in that region, they uh, encounter this slave girl. And this slave girl is a fortune teller. She is uh, she's a fortune-telling slave girl, but she is able to do this because she is possessed by a demon. And so, Paul and Silas uh, exorcise this girl of the demon. Everyone's happy. Everyone's like, whoa, cool. But uh, the local magistrate, the local government gets wind of this, and they arrest Paul and Silas for, you know, just making a ruckus. Religious ruckus. And what happens in the jail is that uh, God delivers them from their imprisonment supernaturally. There's a big old earthquake, and the gates are like falling, and Paul and Silas are skipping out. Yay. So they escape prison through the glory and grace of God. But not only that, uh, because there was an earthquake involved, and because there were supernatural things involved, the, uh, the jailer in charge of keeping them in that prison was scared poopless and he was really terrified and he's like what do i have to do to be saved and so paul instead of skipping on out of there he turned around and they're like you heard of my boy jesus and so they share the gospel with their jailer which is an extraordinary story of grace the very guy who was uh enacting the punishment of this government of, of the Look, police person uh, is shown grace by the ones who are in prison. And I think uh, that is just a very Pauline view of the gospel. That we would show grace and show mercy to even those who persecute us, even those who seek to harm us. And so crazy things have happened in, in Philippi already. And this church is growing. And uh, this church is uh, really thriving. And when you guys read throughout this letter, you see that Paul finds a lot of joy in this church. And uh, there are very obvious reasons, and there are very spiritual reasons. Um, 
but he finds a lot of comfort and joy in this church. One of those reasons I actually mentioned when we were going through 2 Corinthians, one of those reasons is that this church is supporting him financially. And this letter, you can you can kind of think of it if if we if Paul if someone was to write this letter today, we would call it a mission support letter. This is a mission support letter that Paul is writing to the Philippines. Or rather, I guess you could call it like a mission follow-up letter. So if you're gonna write this, so if you, any, any of you are well, I guess all of the mission trips are canceled. But if you were to go on a mission trip, uh, and you need to collect funds because you know traveling is not not cheap, although it is now. You would write someone a support letter. Hey, I am doing this thing. Uh, you know, I'm going to spread the gospel in this area. If you could support me with prayer, that would be great. But if you could throw in some cash, that would also be great. And if someone gives you cash, someone supports you in this way, not just in you know, in, there's prayer, but there's also money. Um, there is sort of an obligation, biblically, for the missionary to give an account of what that money is being used for, right? We churches do this too, right? When you, when you give a tithe, churches give an annual report on how this money is being used. And in the same way, Paul is saying in this letter how he's using this money, but not only the money, how, he's, how their prayers are being answered and how he's praying for them and how he can encourage them and how he can bless them and uh, exhort them to a deeper faith in Christ. And so this is a mission support letter. Uh, that he wrote to the Philippians. And he's really happy to write it. And he starts off this letter, as we have read, with a prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. And if, you know, by now, this should be familiar to us, because in most of his letters, he starts off with a prayer, prayer on behalf of that church that he's writing to. Uh, and in every letter, you can kind of see where Paul is going to take it. Or the direction that Paul is going to take this letter from the prayer and the you know that little introductory uh, statement that he gives. For instance, if you look in you know First or Second Corinthians, that introductory prayer is pretty like I would say pretty passive aggressive. It'd <laughs> be like, God, please be with these sinners. Like that's that's the sort of tone that it takes with First and Second Corinthians. But in Philippians, we read a much more joyful and exuberant tone out of Paul. And actually, that word joy is going to be a staple of this book. And that's actually going to be a major theme in this book and also for our sermon today. But we see kind of three major themes that Paul gives in this introductory prayer. First, and so let's see if, let's see if I can remember it. Okay, so the first is his prayer for the joyful partnership that he has with the Philippians. Joyful partnership, so that's one. Number two, number two is the assurance and the certainty of God's sanctifying work in the Philippines. So the assurance and certainty of sanctification. It's a big word. Basically we could say the assurance and certainty that God is with them, okay? That's the second theme. And the third theme is uh, the preparation for the day of Jesus Christ. Preparation for the day of Christ. And so firstly, 
Uh, he prays this prayer of joy, thanking God for the partnership that he has with the Philippians. And remember that the Philipp this is a mission support letter, and the Philippians are supporting him with money, right? And we can think about that, let it go in our heads a little bit, and we could say, well, of course he's thankful. You, you know, of course he's happy. Like these people are like piling money into him, like you know, like sugar daddies for him, right? Like of course he's like living easy and living good, right? Uh, and I think you know anybody can be thankful when they're receiving this kind of support, right? But Paul is not necessarily thankful for the gift that he is receiving. Although it is generous, and although it is supplying every need that he has, he is not thankful for the gift, but rather he is thankful for the circumstances in which that gift has been given to him. So he's not thankful for the gift per se, although he is thankful for that, but he is more thankful for the circumstances surrounding that gift. And why do I say that? Well, we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And remember, Philippi is in the region of Macedonia. And so I'll read it for you. This is how it goes. We want you to know, brother, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme Poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul is grateful for this partnership. He's overjoyed with this partnership, not because of the things that they gave him, but because of the circumstances in which they gave him those gifts. And what were those circumstances? Those circumstances were affliction. Those circumstances were extreme poverty. The Philippian church was not a rich church. It was not filled with rich people. Maybe Lydia with the purple stuff, but other than that, they didn't have much to give. And yet, they felt compelled. They were like, Paul, please give us the favor. Give us the... the the privilege of giving you this money. Let us be a part of what you're doing in the gospel. Please, we beg you. Because Paul is, he's obviously playing dad in this situation, right? Um, and he's like, you guys don't have any money. Like, why are you spending this on me? Don't do that. But they're like, no, please. Let us give this to you. Because what you have given us, the gospel you have given us, is so much more valuable than this money however little of it that we have. You know, our partnership, the reason we are here at church, is not founded upon the abundance of things that we have. This thing that we do, this church thing, and the community thing, and the fellowship that we would have done if it was for Corona, this thing that we do is not founded on the fact that we're interested in the same things, that we share common goals and life visions and 
that we're we're generally alike people. But like the Philippians and Paul, our partnership with each other, with all of the saints of the church, is not based on abundance, but it is based on suffering. It is based on it is based upon an emptying of ourselves for the sake of another. And in fact, the very basis of our fellowship, the very basis of our partnership is in Jesus Christ. And it is not in the life of Jesus that we are united. Think about it. However important and however useful the life and the ministry that Jesus had here on earth, however useful and important that was, that is not the thing that unites us. The thing that unites us together as Christians is in fact the death of Jesus. It is the suffering and the death of Jesus that brings us together as Christians. It is through the cross, the suffering of the cross, that is our common interest, that is our common goal, that is our common life work. And so we are thankful for this partnership. Why? Because we know that our brothers and our sisters are not are not loving us because we are easy to love. They are not partnering with us because it's easy to partner with us. They are partnering with us, partnering with us because, because we are flawed and because they are flawed and because it is going to take a lot out of us to love each other. And that is why we do it. Just as Jesus took up the cross for our sake, we too must take up our cross for the sake of one another. And in doing so, we find, like Paul, abundant joy. Joy for this joy and suffering for the sake of the saints. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. That will be the prayer that we pray. So that's the first thing, joyful partnership. <laughs> Second thing is the uh, oh, the assurance and the certainty of um of, of sanctification. Assurance and certainty of Christ's sanctifying work in us. And I am sure of this, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. I think an issue that every Christian goes through is, uh, can be characterized and defined in many different ways in many different churches, right? Some people call it backsliding. Some people call it burnt out. Some people call it mm, not feeling it or not into it anymore. Uh, but we've all experienced, or at least we will experience this. Some people call it a desert season. We will experience that moment in our Christianity where we're like, is this all even real? Is this Jesus thing really working for me? Am I, they talk about this holiness and you're gonna grow in love and you grow in peace and you're gonna be so filled with joy, but why am I so depressed? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so angry? Why do I not feel anything? 
And we're all going to experience these, these valleys in our lives and in our faith. And a question that we might, you know, that we ask is, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it to the end? Am I, is my Christianity legit? Is it for real? And so Paul's encouragement to the Philippians and to us is this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure of this, that the faith that you have called your own the Christ that you have held on to, this Christianity that you have, will be, uh, will endure until Jesus comes again. Paul is sure of this. Why is he sure of this? Why is he sure of the work and the completed work of the gospel in some way? Well, he's sure of it because of the root of someone's faith and the fruit of someone's faith. What is the root of someone's faith? If it is a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what kind of circumstances you find yourself in, your faith was, is rooted in this. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. You see, it is not us who decided one day, hey, I'm going to be a Christian. But it is the work of Jesus Christ, first on the cross and then by his sending of the Holy Spirit into our hearts that compels us into an unbreakable, unshakable, irreversible faith in Christ Jesus. That's what we call the unconditional election in Calvinist speaking. And the, what is the fruit of it? What is the fruit of our faith? It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. Partakers of, with me of grace. What does that mean? Well, that goes back to my first point. That, that we are not simply suffering on our own. Suffer, oh, why am I so anxious? Why am I so, why am I so down? Why am I so angry? Why am I so filled with nothing? but rather we are partakers together. That our suffering is not for naught. Our suffering is not punitive, but our suffering is purifying. And it's purified through the fellowship with the saints and with our fellow brothers and sisters. That we are not going through this alone. That we are there for one another. And that is why we do church. That we are to remind one another and to exhort one another, hey, cling to the faith that has won you and cling to the faith that will be completed and that God will bring to completion the day of Christ. And so he's praying a prayer of joy with things. Uh, joyful partnership. Prayer of joyful partnership. He's also praying um, with the certainty and assurance of the sanctifying work of Christ in all the believers. And finally, he prays prayer of eager expectation of the day of Christ. I'm just going to end with, uh, with something from Romans. 
uh, as the praise team comes up. Positive this. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. All of Paul's hope, and all of Paul's joy, and all of Paul's love for the Philippians does not end with their circumstances. And it does not end even with their death. Later in Philippians, we will read Paul kind of weirdly rejoicing over his eventual death. Why does he do that? It's because he knows that there is a future glory awaiting him and awaiting the Philippians. And this is not the end. This is not the end. You know, we're going through this crazy corona thing, and the world is in chaos, and there is a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety, and a lot of doubt. But just as Paul says in Romans, which I'm going to read to you, all of these things will fade away. But the goodness of Christ will only grow and grow and abound more and more until he comes again. Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. It is my prayer, it is my hope, that we as a church wait on the Lord. And hope in the Lord because this too shall pass but the glory and the joy and the love of God will only abound more and more and more in us as we partake in partnership with one another in suffering as we remember the cost of the cross and as we serve one another in joy, and as we endure these situations with joy, even in the midst of all of this affliction, that we would remember that he is not leaving us alone, but he who began a good work in us, and it is very, very good, 
will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So let's pray for one another at this time. Let's pray for our let's pray for all those who have been afflicted. Not just with the virus that affects the body. Let us pray for those who are infected with the virus of sin. For those who, who need to overcome their selfishness, their pride, their anger, their lust. Let us pray for those who have tried and tried to overcome their anxiety, to overcome their weakness to no avail. Let us pray that the gospel of Christ would break through. We will all see together the revealing of the sons of God in all of his glory.